It is a joy and a privilege to preach the word this morning. Uh, quick show of hands, if anyone needs a Bible, put your hands up in the air. We have some amazing people uh, in the back that will be handing out some Bibles. So um, make sure you get one of those if you need it this morning. Um, <laughs> C.S. Lewis uh, was, was a great theologian. He was a great author. He was a great writer. Um, he wrote the, the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote the Screwtape Letters. And, and there was one quote that he said in particular that was really uh, just interesting to me. But he says, Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, their passions, and their imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time, it means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation, the repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of throws and peaks. And and I I think there's a lot of truth to that in the way that I think our spirit wrestles between the temporary and the eternal. And, and I think in also a way of identity, I think our spirit wrestles with, do we place our confidence and our security in something that is temporary or something that is everlasting? And I think this morning we're going to be talking about identity. And, and the title of this morning, if you have notes, is called, it's Breaking Free. And it's an identity message. Um, and, and again, our spirit wrestles with the temporary in the eternal and where to place that confidence and identity. But, but the first point is that true confidence and security comes only when Christ is our identity. That is the only way that we can have true confidence and security in that. That Matthew six nineteen through 21, um, if you have your Bibles open up, and if not, it'll be on the screen as well. But it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That our God is eternal and forever. And only him. You know, there's so many things in this life that we love, and they're great, but they're temporary. They won't last forever, you know. And, you know, think of just, take a minute and just think of something that's really important to you. That it could be, it could be a sport. Um, it could be a hobby. It could be a person. It could be, I love this friendship. It could be um, family. It could be, you know, any number of things. And, and yet the only thing that is going to be eternal is our God. And I think sometimes that there can be a a danger in placing all of our confidence and our security in something that is so temporary. Because when that thing ends, what do we have to fall back onto? And and then in that moment, we feel so much more lost and empty. And, And yet when we place our identity into Jesus, that's where we can be stable. That's where we can go through the ups and downs of life, knowing that Jesus is our identity, not a specific sport or hobby or something like that. And I want to clarify something, too. I think that sometimes there's this misunderstanding that our God is a killjoy. When it says, hey, like, God wants, the, you know, God wants this thing, um, you know, whether it's your sport or your hobby, um, God isn't necessarily trying to take something away from you. God actually wants to give us the desires of our heart, that, that he says that. And so when God places a desire in your heart, like, he's done that for a reason. Like, God wants you to use that for his glory. Like, that is the intention. The intention isn't I'm losing something if I place my identity and security in Christ, but rather I'm gaining. Like, that is the intention of it. And so when we do that, when we place our security in, in, in him, he gets, 
he gets a platform to be honored. And, and in our life, we want to use the things that God has given us to bring glory and honor to the kingdom. Like, that is our heart. That is our attention. God is, is not trying to take something away from you, but he's actually trying to give you something. He's trying to give you joy, security, peace, stability. Like, that is the desire of our God. Uh, who enjoyed watching the Olympics? Uh, I, I, I love the Olympics. comes every, you know, once every four years. I love this year, too, because they, um, they played... They played more events on TV, so you actually got to watch everything. So, um, you know, even I got to enjoy, enjoy weightlifting, which was, which was pretty fun. Um, but I really loved the story of these two American divers. And, and their names are uh, David Bowden and Steely Johnson. And they won the silver medals in the men's synchronized 10-meter platform. And, and what was so cool wasn't just their performance, which was amazing, but what was really cool and what stood out to me was actually was their interview afterwards. And then this is, what, this is what they said. This is what David said. He said, there's an enormous amount of pressure. I've felt it. It's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this diving and I'm thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we both know that our identity is in Christ and we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and in front of the United States. It's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. And, and, and Steely, his, his diving partner, said, you know, right after that, he said, the way David just described it was flawless. The fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is, it just gave me peace and it let me enjoy the moment. He said, if something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm at the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, and just the best people to be around. That God has given us a cool opportunity, and I'm glad I could come away with an Olympic silver medal in my first ever event. That when they placed their identity in Christ, he, they actually were exalted onto a larger platform that they were then able to use for God's glory. And, and, and I, I love the fact that, you know, whether, whether they, whether they would have got dead last or whether they got a medal, that they were firmly secure in who they were. And I think that's the peace that Jesus wants you to have this morning, that it's not based on just their performance, that if all of their identity was on diving and, and, and then they just, for whatever reason, just struggle, then they would feel devastated, yet they're not, they're, they're not empty, that they have the joy of the Lord within them. And yet we can, we can kind of look at the extreme opposite. Uh, how many people love Lord of the Rings? Are there any Lord of the Ring fans uh, my favorite trilogy of all time. I absolutely love it. Um, and yet we look, at, we look at Gollum, and to be honest, he's tough to look at. <laughs> um, the second movie in particular, actually, was my least favorite because you just constantly saw his face. Um, but for those, who, for those who don't know who that is, um, it was this, he, 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 was, he was a person. And, and he became so obsessed with, with this ring that he found that eventually it consumed him, that eventually it was all he thought about, that eventually it became everything he was to the point where you look at him towards the end of his life and he's hunched over, like hair has fallen out, his face is disfigured, just everything because this ring absolutely consumed him. And, and I'm not saying that's going to happen to us, but I think spiritually, I think it can. I think spiritually when we say, God, this is mine, you get no say. That, that, that God, this, this is where my identity is, this is where my value is, and God, uh, like you don't, get, you don't get room to work here. And I think if we hoard something that God did not design for it, I think eventually it will get to the point where it does consume us. And, and, and when it consumes us, our heart is not in a healthy place to be. One of, one of, the, 
one of the disciples of Jesus, John, he refers to himself multiple times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I absolutely love that. I don't think he was saying that Jesus only loved one of the twelve. Like, I don't think that was his intention. I don't think he was saying, yeah, he only likes me. Like, I don't think he was saying, I'm, I'm so much better than anyone else. Like, like, I don't think that was his heart. But what I love about it is that the greatest thing that could ever be his source of identity was the fact that Jesus loved him. That of all the different labels, you think about labels, and I know school can be tough, and, and, and the labels that we put on people and the labels that get put on us, but the greatest label that John grabbed a hold of was simply the fact that Jesus loved him. And, and, I, and I think that changed his heart, and I think that changed his perspective. And, and I think in the same way that that was John's identity, that can be our identity. That we can walk around and be like, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Like, like, and, and I think when we grab hold of that, and I think when that is everything we cling to, and that is our identity, that's where we have this freedom and this joy like never before. This, the second point this morning is that knowing your power comes from which voice you are listening to. The Psalms 91, 9 through 13 says, For if you, make the, if you make the Lord your refuge, you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. I I personally think that's a powerful image. I think I would, you know, get destroyed by a lion pretty quick. But I love the power that that verse says. That you have an incredible power within you. But you will only understand that and believe that if you are listening to the right voices in your life. So uh, this is this is kind of this is kind of a flashback for me. This is this is years back, and and, and there was this moment where um, I was in my first ever relationship. And to be honest, I was I was young and, and I had a lot a lot to learn. And so, but there's this moment where she's with you know my parents and kind of hanging out. And, and to be honest, she's not really treating me the best way. <laughs> she's not necessarily being life giving. She's kind of more of just kind of making fun of me, just kind of belittling me. And, and, and my dad pulls me over to the side. And just a quick, just a quick tangent. Um, whenever, 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 whenever you date, whenever, whenever that is, if you, if you are not with a person in which it is equally life giving, don't waste your time. Like I think so often we're so quick to want to be in a relationship that, that we compromise. And I think so often we find ourselves in a relationship where maybe we're pouring out everything and, and we're getting nothing in return and it's exhausting. Relationships need to be life-giving. That you need to be, you know, encouraging the other person. But if you're not being encouraged and strengthened and built up yourself, don't waste your time. That, you know, after this relationship ended, I actually waited years before dating anyone else because I, I set the bar high and I wanted someone that would be life-giving to me. And I just say four years later, like, she was worth the wait. Like, she was worth the wait. So I just say, like, like if you're not in a relationship, eventually that is life-giving. Like, you need to be. Like, like, we need to be emotionally and spiritually encouraging to one another in all of our friendships and relationships as well. But so back to this moment where, my, to be honest, my dad, this, this Papa Bear protective moment comes out. And, and he looks at me, and he's kind of frustrated. And he's like, Daniel, like, you... You don't have to, to be treated like that, right? Like, like, you don't actually have to take that. I was like, 
nah, you sure? You know, like, he's like, no, 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 like, like, like you deserve better. Like, like, I don't want you to be spoken about that way. I don't want thing, you know, I don't want that to be the way that you go through it. Like, like, you know, you deserve better, right? And again, I look at him like, nah, that doesn't really sound right. Like, like, are you sure? And, and, and my dad in a loving and sternful way says, Daniel, if you don't do something about this, then I will. <laughs> and I knew he meant business. But here's the thing. In, in the same way my dad got defensive and protective over me when I was mistreated, our Heavenly Father feels the same way when the enemy slanders us. I think so often we give the enemy too much freeway to just mess with our heads, to, to, to tell us lies, to tell us insecurities. And I, I think there's times where the enemy does that to us. I think there's times where the enemy will lie to us. And tell you that you're worthless, or tell you that you're not pretty enough, or tell you that you're not smart enough. And I think often at times, instead of saying, no, that's not true, we look back and you're like, oh yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe that's right. And I, and I just picture our, our Heavenly Father in the corner just, like his heart is breaking, saying like, you know you deserve better, right? Like, like, like you know like you don't have to take that. Like, 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 you know, like, those words are not meant to be spoken over you. Like, you know that's not true. And I think our Heavenly Father, I think his heart breaks because sometimes the enemy will just lie to us and we'll let him. And, 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 and I, think, I think Jesus wants us to learn how to stand up for ourselves. I think that's really important. But then I love because I feel like then there's this moment where Jesus is like, enough's enough. If you don't do something, I will. And I'm going to remind you of your worth. And I'm going to remind you of your value. And, and I think Jesus, I love because he comes to our aid. And I think when it comes to identity, Jesus wants to come to our aid so badly. And, and so I think just in this way, like we have to know the power that we possess. But but we have to know which voices that we're listening to. And here's the thing. The enemy is scared. Like, like, like he is. Like, the enemy is scared. And this is the reason why. The enemy is scared because you are a sleeping giant capable of demolishing him by the power of Jesus. And his biggest fear is you waking up and realizing that. So that's why the enemy will be do- wants you to be dormant. That's why the enemy will lie to you. That's why the enemy will try to belittle you because he knows the power that you possess. And in the same way, Jesus knows the power that you possess. And he's like, if you listen to me and not to anything else, like I will build you up. I will be your source of identity. That in, in, in Matthew 6, 17 through 19, Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In the same way that Jesus was empowering Peter, Jesus wants to empower you this morning. That, that, that spoiler alert, the enemy already lost that, that the moment Jesus rose from the grave, like, like, like it's done, it's defeated. And the enemy knows that. But this morning, like I, like I want you guys to know that, that the battle is already won. And Jesus is literally handing you the keys to the, the, to the kingdom. And so my question this morning is, what are we going to do with it? When, when Jesus hands you the keys to the kingdom and says, like, I've already, I've already, I've already won the battle. What are we going to do with that? There's another reason why I think it's so vital that Christ is our identity. And it's because he sees only good in us, despite what anyone else says. Um, grow, grow, growing up, my, uh, my parents got divorced really early on. And so from a young age, I kind of bounced around from home to home. 
And, and to be honest, one in particular, it was, it was tough. Um, it was kind of an emotionally abusive place, to be honest. Um, my brother kind of, he took the brunt of it. Um, and yet I was kind of at this age where I was terrified. And, and, and I think every time, like, I wanted to stand up for my brother, I wanted to so bad. But, like, there was just this fear that overtook me, and so I stayed silent. And so, like, years later, when, when we're already grown up, like, this was maybe a year ago, I, I just kind of was talking to my brother, and I just said, bro, like, I feel like I need to apologize. You know, I was like, I think I, I, think I need to repent. There were times that I wish I would have stood up for you, and I didn't. And I'm sorry. And, and, and I'll never forget just what he said, because, you know, what he said was so opposite of what I was expecting. He just said, bro, I, I don't remember a single time you're talking about. Like, like, I don't, you know, like, I don't remember the times that you weren't there for me. I remember the times that you were. I remember the times where, you know, my brother would just be running outside in the pouring rain wanting to run away. And, and, and there I was chasing after him in the pouring rain. But, but when my brother's telling me this, I literally didn't even remember. Like, I had to be reminded of it. Because all I remembered was the times that I wasn't there. And, and I think in the same way, I think we approach Jesus that same way. I think we approach Jesus timidly, only remembering the bad within us, only remembering our shame, only remembering our shortcomings. I think that's all we cling on to because sometimes we don't let ourselves see the good. And I think Jesus wants to remind us of who we are. I think Jesus only sees the good in us when at times we only see the bad. And I think Jesus is saying, no, 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 like I, I literally keep no record of wrong. I, I don't. I only see the good in you. And so Jesus needs to be that identity because I think at times Jesus needs to remind us of who we are in the moments where we've lost it ourselves, in the moments where we've actually forgotten it, in the moments where we cling to only the bad. Jesus is saying, let that go and, and know my grace. And I want to remind you of the good that you have because you have good within you. You know, we're, we, we've, all, we've all fallen short. Like we all need grace but we all have a greatness within us because we're made in the image and the identity of God. So there has to be some great within us. That Psalms 103, 8 through 12 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. The last thing that I, my last point this morning that I'm going to talk about is that identity in regards to we the church. The words we have can be life-giving or destroying. So know the power that you carry. Uh, James 3 it, the, the chapter talks about taming the tongue and it actually talks about how you know there's these birds and these reptiles and these animals and there's a lot of things that can be tamed. But one thing that can't be tamed is the tongue. And it talks about how it's actually, it's an evil. And, and with it, we, we curse God and praise God at the same time with our tongue. 
And, and, and so what it, the point, I think, that at the same time that it's saying is that there is great power with the words that we carry. That the words that we carry can either be life-giving or they can be destroying. That I think so often, too many times, we'll go, you know, we'll go up to a group and we'll just, we'll just tear someone apart. We'll make fun of them. We'll belittle them. And we'll say, just kidding. And walk away. And we'll think, well, like, oh, I killed that joke. I feel great. Yet we have no idea that that person laughs, laughs on the outside because they, they, they don't want to look, you know, whatever. And yet they're just dying on the inside. And, and, I, and I think too often we don't necessarily realize the power that our words carry. And I think when we're careless, it can literally just hurt our brothers and sisters. And, and we have a responsibility to up. To, uh, to build up our brothers and sisters, that we have a responsibility to be life-giving with the words we say and not the other way around. That one of my favorite TV shows, there's this guy named Darren, and Darren in the show is called The Firestarter. That's what he was known for. And basically, in the show, what he would do is he'd take two best friends, and he would be all charming and, and, and just great. And then the moment one person leaves, he would, you know, like, talk with them and basically kind of talk trash on the other one and find, like, the one thing that, like, would just blow up the friendship. Like, the one thing that probably shouldn't be said. And he would find out, and then the other person would come back, like, so nonchalant. And he would just say it and walk away. And so, like, it would just, there were, like, three times in the episode where just, like, friendships are literally, like, broken, and, and they're trying to rebuild. <laughs> and, and, and my point isn't necessarily saying that, you know, obviously that's us, but what I'm saying is that um, we have to take our words very seriously, that, that we have to be intentional with what we say, that I was told in, uh, in Greek that sarcasm means cutting of the flesh. Like, that's actually what the word is translated into. And uh, I'm, I'm a sociology major. <laughs> like, that's what I actually studied. And, and one of the things that, that we, you know, kind of learned about and talked about was actually it's self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and what that is, for those who don't know, is that it's when something is spoken over a person so many times, whether untrue or true, they start to believe it. That, that, that word spoken over you, eventually you would start to believe this thing um, that often is a lie. And, and I, I don't know if any of you know how elephants are actually trained at the circus. But for those who don't, what they do is they take a baby elephant. And, and baby elephants are still 300 pounds. So, I mean, you know, they're pretty big. But uh, they'll take this baby elephant and they'll, and they'll chain one of its legs. And, and it can't move. And this little baby elephant will, like, kick and it'll fight and it'll, and it'll do everything within its power to break free. But it can't break free. And so there comes to this point where the elephant in its mind is just defeated. It like, like, it knows, like, it can't break free no matter how hard it tries, no matter how much it's fighting and kicking. There's nothing this elephant can do to break free. So what does it do? It just it gives up. It just knows. And so it never tries to break free again. Well, the baby elephant is 300 pounds. But a full-grown elephant can be anything from 8,000 to 12,000 pounds. And that elephant, as an adult, with one swipe of the leg, could just break free like that just effortlessly, but it will never try because it feels that it's defeated. And I, and, and I say this because I think in our, the words that we carry have such great value. And I think, you know, I, a lot of people have probably been hurt by the words that have been spoken over someone. The, the, that maybe for you, like, you feel like that elephant. For maybe you, that there was something that, whether it was, it was whoever it was, spoke that over you, and you just feel like you're in, in, this, in this bondage. I would just say, don't ever let it be the words you've spoken over someone that puts them in that bondage. 
that, that we have a responsibility to be life-giving, that we have a responsibility to set our brothers and sisters free, not to tie them up and entangle them. And I also want to clarify something. Um, I'm not saying we can't joke around with one another. I'm not trying to get too heavy. I love joking. I, I, I love cracking up jokes. Um, and so I think that we should be lighthearted. I'm not trying to say that we should be overly heavy. But, you know, we should be joyful, but we should never be joyful at the expense of someone else. And I, and I think as the church, this needs to be a safe place. And so as the church, we have to be building one another up with the words that we say. That Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That in the book of Acts, uh, it's Acts 4.36, it talks about uh, a man named Joseph who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Well, Barnabas is translated into son of encouragement. And I absolutely love, I love that title. I love that. Again, you know, I, there's, there's moments where people in the Bible are described by like two or three words. And man, you got to make those words count. But I love the way that he's described as a son of encouragement. And I would just say this. I have people in my life that I would identify as a Barnabas to me. I have people in my life that I need to uplift me. I have people in my life that just have a gift of encouragement. And I love it. And I would also like to think that I, I, I want to be that to someone else as well. I want to be someone that's life-giving and encouraging to someone else. I, I want to be a Barnabas to someone else as well. And so, so my question to you guys this morning is just, it, it, it's two things. The first question is, who is the Barnabas in your life? Because you need that. That again, like Christianity is not meant to happen in isolation but rather it's meant to happen in community, that we're not called to do this alone. And we don't need to. That in Proverbs it talks about as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. And we need people in our life that are going to uplift us because there's times, again, walking with Jesus is a journey. And it ebb and flows. And there's those throws and peaks. And there's these moments where it's really well. And there's moments where it's tough. And in those seasons, we need a Barnabas in our life. We need someone who's going to build us up. But we also, in the same way, as we are encouraging, as we are, as we are being filled up, we need to be releasing and encouraging one another. So we want to be that as well. So my first question is, who is the Barnabas in your life? Do you have someone like that? And the second question I have is, who are you a Barnabas to? Because in the same way that we are encouraging one another, we need to encourage those as well. Uh, at, at this point, if the worship team would, would like to come back, we'll have one more song. I just, I, I have a closing story, but, um, you know, bear with me through these animal stories because I'm a huge, huge animal nerd. I love it. Um, but there's, there's these animals up in the Arctic tundra, and they're called the musk ox. And I, I love them. I love the musk ox. And they can weigh up to, you know, I think about 2,000 pounds. They're big. But when they're up there, they'll have people come after them like, or not people, <laughs> not people. They'll have animals come after them. Um, people don't hunt them. But, you know, they'll have, they'll have polar bears. They'll have wolves. They'll have these animals that will come after them because obviously they want to hunt them. And what I love in this moment, without hesitation, what the musk ox do is they take the young, they take the old, they take the sick and the injured, and they put them in the middle. And then they form this huge circle around them. And then what they do is they form the circle around, but then they stare at the, at, at the predator head on. And at this point, they have two options. Option one is they remain an impenetrable wall. That no polar bear or wolf is getting through that. 
no matter how hard it tries. Or two, if necessary, I love this, it will chase after and attempt to gorge out their prey. That there'll literally be a musk ox that if it feels threatened enough, it will try to gorge a polar bear with, with its horns. And the reason why I say that is because that is our role in the church. That, that, that we get to take those people that we love and we get to put them in the middle and say, oh, enemy, you ain't getting through. Like, I'm going to fight for my brothers and sisters. We get to put them in the middle and, and we get to face the enemy head on and say, your move. Because I've got my brothers and sisters and I've got my Jesus and there's no way you're getting through. And, and, and that's the role that we get to do because obviously you guys know that it is so much easier for, for an animal to be hunted when it's alone or when it's weak or when it's injured, when it's off in the distance, like it's a one-on-one target. But when it is this herd, when it is this impenetrable wall, the, the predator's got no chance. And so again, you know, as, as brothers and sisters, we want to uplift and encourage one another that what if someone in our family is hurting, and struggling, and I, and I know that's true today, that we get to take our brothers and sisters and we get to put them in the middle and we get to say, I'm going to love on you. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to encourage you because I ain't letting the enemy get to your head. I ain't letting the enemy get to your mind. And so this morning, my, man, my prayer is that we would just, we would be family with one another and that we would just build a wall that we would protect each other. So we, we're, we're going to do, we're going to do one more song of worship, but man, this morning, let's be church. Let's be family. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this family. I love this. I love this church. God, it's a special place that I believe that we are family, that I believe that this is a safe place. I believe that our brothers and sisters get to come into here and to feel accepted and loved. And you know what? That's not every place. That's not always the norm that I believe that there is something genuinely special about this place. And so, so do you, Jesus. So God, I pray that we would just, that we would surround one another, that we would love on one another and that we would know that we are never, ever alone. That you are our identity. And with that, we love one another. We love on one another. So God, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. In your name, amen.